Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. We've been looking at this message titled, The Greatest Commandment. Amen. And over the last several weeks, um, you know, we've learned a lot of different things uh, from the Word of God, uh, really from two verses, you know, because we've been looking at Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. So if you have your Bibles, just open them up there, and and we're going to get there in just a minute. But I pray that, you know, we take to heart what the Lord is showing us every time that we open the Word. Amen? How many of you know what the word says? The Bible says not only be hearers only, but doers of the word as well. Amen. That's really important that we apply what we're learning, that we take to heart what it is that the Lord is speaking to us week in and week out. Amen. That we are not only just hearing it and, and, you know, it goes in one ear and out the other. You know, it's not just something that you write on a piece of paper, but it's something that has to become a part of your life. Yes. If Jesus was willing to give his life and lay it completely down, that means that he surrendered his life unto death for us. The least that we could do that after we've come to know him and after we've been raised back to life in him, Romans chapter 6 teaches about that, that we were once buried with him. That means that, that you know we were just like him in that baptism into Christ, that we were buried with him, that we, we, we were once dead, but now we were made alive through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And the same way that he raised us back to life, we, I believe, owe him honor and we owe him a life that's surrendered in obedience to his word. Amen? And so the word of God shows us over the last several weeks, you know, we learned that we cannot behave good And we cannot love God, and we cannot inherit eternal life outside of first receiving the gift of who Jesus is, Jesus himself. Amen? We can't love God, and this whole series has been about loving him. It's been about loving him. In Mark 12, 30 says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and all of our strength. You see, we can't love God and we can't, you know, give God back the love that he's given to us unless we first known that love. The Bible says that God himself is love. Amen. In him, he encompasses and he embodies what love actually is. And unless we know him, then and only then do we know his love. And then and only then can we love him back. The beauty of the gospel is this, is instead of trying to, us trying to reach him, Jesus came to reach us. Jesus came down to this earth to live as a man, amen? And the Bible says that he was without sin, that he lived a perfect life in obedience to his father, that he, he walked in this world, he went through the same tests, the same trials, he went through all kinds of persecution, he went through everything imaginable, he was even, you know, you know, being tried, tried to being killed ever since he was born into this world. Jesus had a tremendous amount of pressure upon his life, but yet the Bible says that he overcame the world. Amen? And we can overcome the world through him as well. So we learn that in order to love God with all of our heart, Jesus first needs to inhabit our heart. Amen? Is he living in your heart tonight? I pray that he is. We also learned that in in loving Jesus with all of our hearts, receiving Jesus means that we're now equipped to love God with the same love that he's given us through his son. Amen. It was said the true measure 
of loving God is to love his son without measure. I always find it interesting during a time of worship that, you know, we'll have, you know, I have a pretty good view up here. And I find it interesting sometimes that, that there's some people that just can't wait for worship to finish. And there's others that don't even know what's going on. And then there's others that are so immersed in what the Lord is doing. And, and they're, they're just on their face before God that, that, you know, they probably don't ever want it to stop. But it's interesting to me to see the different dynamic in the church, you know, just through visual observation, not saying that your heart may not be worshiping and thankful to God, but, but a lot of times our external reflects what's going on the inside, yes? <laughs> what we show on the outside is, is usually a reflection of what is actually happening inside of our heart. But the true measure of loving God is to love his son without measure. That means that you would never stop finding reasons and ways to love him. I know for men, that's maybe not the most, you know, uh, you know, masculine thing that you could say to, to love another man. But this is not just any man. This is the man that died for your soul. This is the man that paid the ultimate price for the very thing that you could do nothing about. You couldn't work your way to heaven. You couldn't earn your way to heaven. You couldn't pay enough, you know, tithes or offerings to somehow make enough payments to get into heaven. There's nothing that we could have done in our capacity and in our power and in our strength to ever earn the salvation that he freely gave us. But yet he gave it to us because he loves us. And so that same unconditional love that Jesus loves us with, we are to love him back. We are to never stop showing the Lord that we love him. And we learn that loving God with all of our, our, that was with all of our heart. We learn that loving God with all of our soul means to obey him and his word. Amen? We obey what his word says. I, I, I have to reiterate this time and time again. You know, Jesus left us with two commands, and we've been talking about them for the last six weeks. He said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the verse that we're going to talk about tonight is to love your neighbor as yourself. He left us with two commands. You might say, Pastor Duke, but there's so many other things. Yes, there's so many other things. But if we do these, all of those other things happen. It's automatically produced in our life. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the spirit of what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, self-control. All of those things are, are, are coming out of your life as, as a fruit because you remain in him and you are attached to him every single day. Amen? And so the Lord wants us to obey him and his word. Loving Jesus is living out his word and not our will. Loving Jesus and being surrendered to him is, is simply saying what he told the Father. He said, not my will, but your will be done. It's not what I want, Lord. It's what you want. It's what your plan is for me. I believe every single day, I love that verse. I believe it's in Proverbs 19 or 16. I always get it backwards, but it talks about how the Lord thwarts the plans of his people and there's another verse that talks about you know God almost laughing at our plans that we have 
talks about how the Lord, you know, sees what we want to do with our life and the purpose that we want to live out and the plans that we want to make for ourselves. And the Lord kind of chuckles at those, you know, the idea of him seeing us try to map out our own life is, is humorous to him. Because how many of you know that we are the created and he is the creator? Yes? Can I get an amen tonight? Are we awake? Praise the Lord. We are the created and he is the creator. And since the beginning of time, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's written it out. He's got it completely. Every day of your life is marked. Every, every single day of your life is mapped out and it's planned out. And it's up to us to submit ourselves to that plan so that we can ultimately end up where he wants us, which is to be with him in heaven and glory forever. Amen? And so we see that we're supposed to live out the word and not just our will. Loving God with all of our mind, as we go on to the third thing that we talked about, means that we meditate on his word day and night. I would encourage you to meditate on the word every single day. What does that mean? That means that every single day you, you open this up and it's nourishment for your soul. You open up the word of God and you rehearse and you remember and you recall the promises and the truth of God over your life. The next time that you're sick, rehearse the promises of God, what the word of God says concerning the sickness or concerning the doctor's report that you heard. The next time you get bad news or you get some kind of bad report, remember what it is that the Lord has given you as a weapon of warfare so that you won't succumb to the attacks of the enemy. A lot of times we, 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 we want the Lord to do for us what he's given us the capacity to do for ourselves. That's a good time to say amen. Oh God, heal me. Oh God, take care of me. Oh God, deliver me. And he's saying, listen, I can deliver you. But I've also given you in my word the instructions of how to live your life in a godly manner. I've seen that funny video and it shows this, this sheep that's getting rescued out of a ditch. I don't know if you've seen this video. You might know what I'm talking about. But there's this sheep and he's in this really tight ditch. And, and here comes this like worker or farmer or shepherd. And he goes and he pulls the sheep out of the ditch. And the sheep's like all happy because he gets freed from the ditch. And he runs a little ways and he just jumps right back in. It's like plunk, you know, it just goes right back down into the ditch. And a lot of times that's like us. He's given us the word. He's given us the truth. He's given us the way. He's given us the path. And what do we do? We just, we just go right back to what it is that he told us to not live for and to get out of. And if we meditate on the word, it actually fills our mind in such a way where we don't have room to think about anything else. You see, the devil's always looking to occupy the uninhabited space in your heart and in your mind. If you don't read the word of God every single day, it's like you're leaving the window open to, to your home. In the middle of the night, anybody can just crawl into that place. They could rob you. They could steal from you. They could, they could you know, trash your house. They could do something because you've left an open door. But if you fill your mind with the word of God, there is no room for the enemy to get into. We need to fill our minds with the word. Amen. We need to meditate on the word day and night. It was said to love God with our mind is to hold him in high esteem. It's to think about him with reverence and with adoration every single day. The fourth thing that we learned was to love him with all of our strength is the effort in which you seek the Lord. He said that he would reward those who seek him. 
Now, last week when I mentioned that to you, you know, we, everybody's like, yeah, he, he does. No, no, no. Let me, let me get us to understand this. He rewards those who diligently and earnestly seek him. There's a difference. One is like, hey, God, are you out there? No? Okay. Bye. And the other one looks like Matthew 7 and 7. The Bible says that you ask and you shall, what? Receive. You seek and you shall, and you knock and the door will be open. There's a progression that's happening in the seeking. It's not just, you know what, I, I checked to see if they were home. You know, it's like the UPS guy that goes to your house and, and he just goes, think he knocks on the door and then he just like walks off. Throws the box there and doesn't even wait for you to like, it's like, hey man, I was, I was going to answer the door, but you just, you just ran off. The Lord is looking for those that diligently and earnestly seek after him. You don't just seek him because you want something, but you seek him for him. You seek after him to gain him. The Bible teaches in Luke 11, it teaches about prayer. And it's talking about prayer and it says, you know, would a father, you know, how much more would a father give, you know, good gifts to his son? And, and, and he's talking about that and he says, how much more would your father in heaven give himself, give his son, give his spirit to those who seek after him? The Lord doesn't want to withhold himself from us, but there's conditions based on which he would give himself to us. There's a condition that says we should diligently and earnestly seek after him, and then he will reward us with himself. This is why you can have atheists and you can have biblical theologians and scholars. They can read the word of God every single day, but because they're reading it just to gain some head knowledge or wisdom or literature, or they just want to win a debate with somebody, doesn't mean that they'll ever encounter God because they're not seeking him the right way. They're not seeking him diligently, and they're not seeking him earnestly. They're just seeking to, to know more historical facts about the Bible. The Lord wants us to genuinely desire him. And tonight, I want us to continue. Let's look at Mark 12, 31. And it says this. Hopefully, I have enough time to finish tonight. It says, the second command is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray for the word tonight. Holy Spirit, we love you. We bless your holy name, Jesus. I thank you, Father, for your truth and your word tonight. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak through me as your vessel. I pray, Father, for every heart, every listening ear tonight, God. I pray that our ears, our, our spirit, Father, would just be attentive to what you have to say, Father. Let us receive from your truth in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. It's important for us to understand the type of love that is being talked about here once again. We have to understand what love he's actually mentioning to us. The love as described in this context is agape love. Agape love. You can write that in your notes. Write that down. Agape love. Biblical agape love is love of choice. I'll say it again. Biblical agape love is love that chooses to, love that decides to. It's the love of serving with humility, the highest kind of love. It's the noblest kind of devotion, the love of the will, which is an intentional and conscious 
choice. It's not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. So that word agape in the New Testament, it means the fatherly love of God for mankind, for humans. It means the fatherly love of God for humans as well as the human reciprocal love for God. So in this definition of understanding what type of love is being spoken about, we see here that love is a decision and that's why it can be commanded. Love is a decision, and so therefore God can command it from us. The Lord can command decisions because love and liking are two different things. The Lord is telling us in this scripture, he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not an option. It is a command. Now, when people hear the word command, sometimes we, our flesh wants to automatically resist. Go, oh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Listen, if anybody's going to tell you what to do, it should be Jesus. Amen? We listen to far too many other people. We let them dictate our lives and tell us what to do when we should be listening to what Jesus is telling us to do. Amen? Jesus isn't telling you and me to like our neighbor. There's a difference. There's a huge difference because liking someone or something is an emotionally based opinion. You might like me or you might love me. Hopefully, somewhere in between. But to be honest, I don't really care. If you like me because you might like things about me, you might like the, the way that I talk or the way that I dress, or you might like the way that I treat my wife or my children, those are emotionally based things, emotional based decisions. You might say, oh, Pastor Duke's cool because he does this and that or whatever. But loving is completely different because it is a choice that is to be made. It is a choice that's to be made. You may not like, you know, the way somebody dresses or walks or talks or the things that they like. You may have nothing in common with them. You may not click well with their personality or even have the same interest as another person. But Jesus isn't talking here about liking anybody. He is not saying like your neighbor as yourself. He is commanding love towards them. And that's the decision made to love the Father's way and the way the Father loves you. For those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, that have a relationship with God, and you've received from the Father's love, how many of you know that when you sin, he is not rubbing your face in your bad decision? I know him that way, do you? How many of you know that when you fail him, he isn't, he isn't you, know, you know, wanting us to hide under a rock, but he's saying, just like he said to Adam in the Garden of Eden, he's saying, where are you? Why are you running? How many of you know that the time after time that we fail him and the time after time that we, you know, make mistake after mistake, the times that we're broken because of hurt or things that people say or do towards us, the Bible says that he is near to us in our brokenness. He is a promise keeper. The Bible says that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And I have to destroy this lie that I believe permeates in and out of the church so many times because we live in a, in a massively fatherless generation. It's just the truth. And because we live in a very fatherless generation, that doesn't mean that you just have an absent father from home, but it means that he could not be present in your life. 
we see that the, there's a huge distortion that is made towards us understanding what a fatherly love should look like. The perception of how we've re re received love in this natural world from, a, from an earthly father or a stepfather or, you know, or, or, or just a father figure in general, all, all, all the time it, it distorts our view of who we perceive a heavenly father should be and should look like. But if you have a relationship with the Lord, then you should understand what it is that he has done for you. The Bible says that his perfect love casts out fear. The Bible says that it's, it's the father that reaches down, that he is the father of lights. He gives all the good gifts that he loves to, to his children that obey him. The father loves us so much that he gave us his most prized possession in his son. And because we understand this and we know this, we see that this biblical love that the Lord is asking of us is ultimately to be a benefit to somebody around us that's in need. The love that he is commanding from your life to every person around us is to ultimately benefit to somebody in their life. Benefit them for the needs that they have. There's a compassion and an expression which, with which the Father loves us. It isn't based on what he likes about us, but it's based on the place of who it is that loves us. If God chose to simply like us based on our obedience, based on our, you know, good deeds that we do, then we probably wouldn't be very likable to him. But what does he do? He chooses to love us. Every day, the Father's love never runs out for your life. Every single day, the Father gets up and he loves who you are. I don't know about you, church, but, you know, I'm often moved when I see people that have uh, dire needs. I see people, you know, on the street. I see people in our community that maybe are suffering some kind of loss. loss. You know, maybe they're, you know, they, they, their car broke down or, or maybe it's, you know, some tragedy or a family member died or, or it's even something like where they're hungry or they're in need of shelter and things like that. And I believe, you know, ultimately that's an expression of the prompting that the Holy Spirit gives us. When your heart is moved with compassion to do something for somebody else, it's actually the Holy Spirit that's moving your heart into compassion. And the Bible tells us about Jesus and when he wept over the city of Jerusalem, he wept with compassion over them because he wanted to gather them to himself. He looked at them and the Bible says that he looked at them as though they were sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering. They were all alone. They, they had nobody to turn to. And it was his desire. He literally was wanting to embrace them. He says, like a hen gathers her chicks, so he longed to gather them to himself. Jesus looks at you and I every single day with that same compassion. That same compassion, that same love. But here's the deal. Regardless if I'm in, you know, the, the moment, you know, or, or I'm moved, you know, in my flesh to donate some large sum of money to some kind of person in need. Regardless if I'm moved to want to help somebody or meet the needs of somebody that's hungry or clothe somebody that needs clothes. Even if I feel like I might have the ability to do so or not, I am commanded to love as the Father would love. I am still commanded to love the way that he loves. Peter and John, you may remember this story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 
three. We'll open it up in just a second. But there was this man that they met at the gate called Beautiful. And every single day, you know, you know, this is after the Holy Spirit had been given to the apostles and Jesus is in heaven. By this time, he has already been resurrected and, and he was there. And, and these men, they go to this to this temple gate and they see this lame man there. And this man asked John and Peter, he asks him for some money. And so if you could picture it with me, it'd be like somebody sitting on the doorsteps of the church right here, sitting outside, lame in their, in their body. He's unable to move. He was planted there every single day for years and years and years. And Peter and John, as they're entering the temple, they see this man that's sitting there. And he proposes to them. He says, I need some money. Will you give me some money? And the response that Peter and John had was more powerful than possibly the few dollars that they may have been able to give him. And so Acts 3 and 6 says this, Peter said to him, silver or gold I do not have. Now what Peter was saying was he said, I don't have the ability to do so in the moment. I don't have any cash. How many of you have ever been asked, you know, for money by somebody and you didn't have any money in your pocket? Has that ever happened to you? Most of us carry, you know, these plastic cards around nowadays. And there's been times where I've legitimately wanted to help somebody, but I didn't have the means to do so. So then I, I, I think I go a step further. I say, well, you know what? Can I buy you some food? You know what? Maybe I can meet a need some other way because I, I don't have a few dollars in my pocket to be able to give it to you in this moment. So Peter is saying the same thing. He said, I don't have the ability to give you this because I don't have any cash. He said, but what I do have, I give you. He's saying, what I possess within me right now, this is what I'm going to give you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. It says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped up to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It said, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I pose the question to you tonight, church. Are you giving the world? Are you giving your neighbor? Are you giving your coworker? Are you giving your family member what it is that you have? What it is that you possess in your heart and in your life? A few days ago, DJ and I were, were uh, in a nearby neighborhood and we were passing out the invitations for our Spanish service. And so uh, I think we did like 400 invites in, in one day. We walked like three miles. You know, we definitely got our exercise for the day. But we were walking through this, you know, big apartment complex, and we we're just passing out these invitations. And, and as we were going, I saw this elderly woman outside. And so because I see her, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give her an invitation to, to the Spanish service that we're going to have. So as I approach her, she looks a little perplexed. She looks a little worried. She looked bothered. So either way, you know, I, I do my shameless plug, and I invite her to service. I was like, hey, you know what? You know, you look like you need Jesus. No, I didn't say it exactly like that. But I was like, hey, you know, here's an invitation. And I, and I asked her, I said, are you okay? Is there something that you need? And she looks at me, and she's, she's an older woman, and she says, yes, mijo. She said, my husband's truck, my husband's truck doesn't want to start. 
And, and I said, okay. I said, uh, you know, do you need like jumper cables or something? And she's like, no, I, th I think we have cables. We just need somebody to, you know, put your battery to our battery and get it going. I said, okay. So I ran all the way back down the, the block of the apartment complex. I ran and got my car, pulled it around, you know, and helped him. And, and uh, you know, both of them were pretty up in age. You know, they had walkers and canes and things like that. And so open the hood, I get the batteries connected and, you know, get everything going. And I tell him, all right, go ahead and start it. And he starts it and boom, it fires right up. And I'm like, awesome. And so I've taken the cables off and everything. And the first thing that this woman asked me is she says this, her first question was, how much do I owe you? And I looked at her and I'm in my mind, I'm thinking like, you don't owe me anything. And I tell her, I said, I said, you don't owe me anything. And she was, why would you do this for us? Who are you? I said, well, if you must know, I said, I'm a believer in Jesus. I said, I'm a minister at a local church nearby. Oh. So, wow. Thank you. And she was kind of teary-eyed and everything. And, and she said, you know, we hadn't driven the truck in a few days and all this stuff. And I said, no, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. She was amazed at the simple fact and even thought she owed me something for just me going out of my way to help her and to serve her. Do you know, church, that a simple moment like that will speak louder than even some sermon you may preach to them? It may speak a lot louder than even some kind of gesture you could do or, or some kind of Bible verse that you could quote. Because love is not something that we say, it's something that we do. Amen? Love isn't just something that you say that you, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, you could tell your, your husband, your wife, you could tell them you love them every night. You could tell your kids that you love them every night. You could tell some significant person in your life that you love them every single day. But the truth of the matter is love is not said, it's shown. It is something that is shown from our life. Now, I'm not sharing this with you to toot my own horn. I'm telling you this because we as Christians, we owe the world an expression of God's love. As believers in Jesus, we owe this world an expression of the love of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. He gave. He gave. What did Peter say? He said, what I have, I give to you. Silver or gold have I not. He said, but what I do have. I have Jesus. This is what I'm going to give to you. John chapter 13 and verse 34 says this. A new command I give you. He says, love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I highlighted this in my, in my text, that part where he says, as I have loved you. So you are to what? Love one another. The love that Jesus has offered into my life, and I'm sure if, if I pass the mic around, you can testify to the same. The love that Jesus has poured into my life is undeserving and it's unending. I haven't deserved to receive it. I haven't deserved to have him embrace my life. I haven't deserved to have him call me and fill my life with purpose. I haven't deserved any of what he's extended to me. And there's a lot of people in this world that are entitled. And you know what? In your heart, you may think that they don't deserve anything. 
But what we owe them is what Jesus is telling us here. He said, as I've loved you, you must love them. You must give your life. You must willingly lay down your life for your brother and your sister. You must willingly lay down your life for your neighbor. Now, that text neighbor, that word neighbor that he's talking to us about, it's not just the guy that lives next door to your house. It means actually on a national world scale level. That means that it it supersedes race and, and creed and background and age, ethnicity, all those things. It supersedes all those things. He's simply telling you to love the world. Your neighbor is the world. Everybody. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what they like. You are to love them as he has loved us. 1 John 4 and 19, he says this. We love because he's what? He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Did you know the Bible called you a liar? (laughs) It's there. I didn't write it. Don't look at me. Everybody's got their stone ready to throw. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Now this text was originally given to believers. Bring it in the house, right? Bring it inside the circle of of the four walls of, of the church amongst the body of Christ. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's important as believers that we should be the first ones to show love towards one another. That when somebody in the body wrongs you or maybe did something that offended you, you shouldn't wait for them to come crawling back to you to apologize and repent of their sins, but you should be the first one to take the step to love them. Love them beyond their faults. Love them beyond their bad behavior. Love them beyond, you know, the things that they did to affect your life, the things that they might have said that may have hurt you or cut you in a certain way. Because the Bible says that unless we forgive those who have sinned against us, only then will our Father in heaven forgive our sins against him. It's important that we in the body of Christ extend the love of Jesus to those that are around us each and every day. If you've been a beneficiary of God's love, then we are commanded, that is, we, are, we owe others to give God's love back to this world in need. Romans 13 and 8 says this. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That means that that's something that you can't pay off. It's a continual debt that you have, not only towards each other in the church, but towards each and every person that you encounter in this world. Continually we owe others the love of God. It says, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. He says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is why would God keep us indebted to keep loving others? Think about that just for a second. Why would the Lord keep us indebted to keep loving others? Because I believe the same God who loves us with an eternal and with an everlasting love, whose biblical sum, the Bible says, is he is defined as love, whose word says that no height, no depth, that nothing in all creation could separate us from that love, not nakedness, famine, sword, or death. His love is unending. His love is unconditional. And the very same God who could love us in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our shame, in our unrighteousness, in our unforgiveness has commanded us that we love others the way that he loves us. We cannot let the things that we don't like about people stop us from deciding to love them. In other words, don't let your dislikes stop you from making the decision to love others the way that God loves you. Did you know, church, that God decided to send his son to die for your sins? Have we forgotten about that? Do you think, do you think that God liked the idea of his son dying for a creation that didn't want to love him back? I don't know about you, but I have two beautiful daughters. And I don't like the idea of thinking that anybody would ever harm them. In fact, my probably biggest fear that I have in this life is not being there to protect them one day. Because we live in an ugly world. Every day when I send them off to school, I pray for them. I pray the Lord's protection over their life. I say, God, set your angels around that campus. I pray that for everyone's children. But the idea of thinking that someone could harm my child is, is a, make a, a man go crazy. Certainly a father. We ask ourselves the question, do you think God liked the idea of his son dying? No, he didn't like it. He didn't like it but it pleased him that his son was obedient to the plan. It pleased him that his son was obedient to death on a cross. Because most often love is a sacrifice to make. True, genuine love is a sacrifice to make. If the times that God would want you to express his love to others was always convenient, then it wouldn't really be love. If all the times that God was asking you to love somebody the way that he loves you, it wouldn't be love if it was just convenient all the time. It wouldn't truly be convenient because his love isn't based on the conditions that are present. The love that God has for us is not based on conditions. His love is based on the supply with which he loves us. That means that you and I can draw from his love daily to show it to others and never run out. Because his love is eternal. He is eternal. It's always available to give to somebody. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What a beautiful definition, amen? 
What a powerful definition. This is how we know what love is. This is the picture of love is Jesus laying down his life for us. And he goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's a big task. Did you know that? That's a selfless task. You cannot lay down your life and still be prideful about it. You cannot lay down your life and still think that, you know what, you're going to accomplish the things that you want to do. No, no, no. It means that you sacrifice day in and day out and you say, I am willing to give my life. I'm willing to lay down my life to show others who Jesus is. I'm willing to lay down my life to be a bridge for others to walk on so that they can get to the Lord. That's what sacrificial love looks like. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them. Think about this. There's a decision that's being made. All around us, we don't have to look far. There's a lot of need around us. Amen? You don't have to look far. You can drive to almost any parking lot here in the valley, and you may find somebody in the parking lot with a need. With a need. Just the other day, I, I go to the bank, and, and, and I see a family. They're sitting there. They have a need. The other day, we went to another store in McAllen, and I'm, I'm with my wife and, and my kids. And, and you know what? I, I just want to encourage you and say this as, as parents. You need to exemplify what love looks like in front of your children. We saw this family, and they were standing on the corner. It was a husband, a wife, and a, and a child. And, and they were standing on the corner in the parking lot at Coles. And I don't know if I told you the story or not. But we pull into the parking lot, and immediately I'm, I have compassion. Because I just came out of my nice, comfortable home in my nice working vehicle to go to a store to buy a, a shirt or whatever it is that we were doing at the store. My needs are met. But they're standing under a tree in like 100 degree heat with a baby. Knowing that this baby is uncomfortable, knowing that this family is in need. And, and as soon as I pull in, it, my wife and I just kind of Without even saying anything, you know, I, I just, I'm pulling in and I'm about to park the car and, and, and she's reaching into the purse. And I say this uh, uh, to be an example to you, church, but also so that you can be an example to your children. Your children watch everything that you do. Yes? Your children are like little recorders. They soak up everything that you offer them. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And my daughters are like, Dad, why are you parking the car? And I'm like, hold on. And I go and I get off, and it turns out that this family's from Romania, and I get to speak to the man a little bit, and he had really, really broken English, but I was able to just bless his family with some things, and, and, and I, I asked him if, if I could pray for him, and he said yes. And, and, you know, my daughters got to see this man just, he bowed on his knees. You know, he gets down on, on his knees, and he's just, wanting God to bless him. And I prayed over his life and, and just prayed for a few moments over him and prayed that the Lord would just strengthen this family and just, you know, help them in their need. But I made a decision in that moment. I didn't have to stop. I was compelled to because the Holy Spirit was ringing inside of my heart saying, do something. Do something. You have the means to do something about it. 
Now, I didn't buy them a house or I didn't, you know, get them off the street in that moment. But I knew I could play a part in doing something for them, showing them the love of God. And he says here in the scripture, he said, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And I challenge each and every one of us tonight to think about that. Because now the holidays are rolling around. And guess what? You're going to see a lot more people in need. Make no mistake. And while you're going into the stores to buy things that you want to buy for your family, and while you're budgeting and maxing out credit cards and doing whatever it is that you do to have a few presents under the tree, think about how you can do and sow into the kingdom and sow into the life of somebody else with the love of Jesus by saying no to yourself and yes to their need. Jesus probably didn't think the idea of Laying down his life, being brutally murdered, being spit at, being mocked, being crucified, having his flesh torn, having to carry a cross that was too unbearable for him to carry. He probably didn't like the idea of doing so, but he did it, church, because he what? He loved us. He laid down what it was that he wanted to please another, to please his heavenly father. Verse 18, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us not simply love by just saying it. Oh, I love the world. Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to Rock of Ages. You know, I love everybody. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a bottle of love that's just waiting to explode upon the world. But yet you walk past people every day. You tip the waitress, nothing. You, you, you don't help somebody that's on the side of the road because you got somewhere more important that you need to be. Think about that. I love that scripture in the book of Hebrews that talks about entertaining angels. That means that God is actually setting up opportunities for us to do something. I believe they're even tests so that you and I can pass the test and be obedient to what it is that he's wanting us to learn. And he sets up opportunities for us to make a decision to love somebody else. The scripture defines love with the picture of Jesus laying down his life for us. Then we're also told to do the same for our brothers and sisters. Now the scripture here is not just mentioning the members of your own family and not even just other Christians, but not even just the church, but all people. This is the type of love that Jesus laid down for the world. Not just for the type of people or for a specific age of people. And it goes on to mention that if you have material possessions, money, clothes, food, shelter, and you see a person in need and you walk right past them, then the question is asked, how can the love of God be in you? How can the love of God be in that person? And so the sum is not just to say that we love others, but through what we choose to do, show them love also in truth. Now the world today has massively attempted to distort how Christians are to love this world. I got to get into this just for a moment. There's a saying that's been going around for a while now that says that love is simply love. And that we're simply supposed to affirm lifestyles of people and that we're supposed to conform with what they believe. And if you don't affirm their pronouns or their belief or their lifestyle, then you're a hateful person, you're a bigot, you're a racist, or even another expletive. 
But I want us to notice how the scripture never conforms to our lifestyle. Did you know that? The scripture doesn't bend to how you want to live your life. You must conform to what it says. You must live and walk in obedience to what the scripture is teaching us. Amen. The scripture requires a a repentance and a life that is surrendered to Jesus so that it can ultimately produce transformation in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. But when people say things like, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus was just a guy that hung out with everybody. Jesus just loved everybody. Love, 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 love. Jesus was just this this hippie. They just liked to hang out with people. He never told them what they were doing wrong. He never told them they were sinners. He never said any of that. No, wrong. People need to read the Bible. Amen. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. He said, you wicked generation. He said, you brood of vipers. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword that would divide. Jesus said all kinds of stuff that doesn't just simply sound like love, rainbows, and butterflies. He said many, many more things, but people have this idea that just because he hung out with sinners that he affirmed their lifestyle. And I read this recently that Jesus didn't hang out with sinners because he wanted to appear inclusive or tolerant or accepting, but he spent time with them to show them who he was and how to live for the kingdom. His goal is to save souls and not to affirm sin. I'll say it one more time. His goal was to save souls and not to affirm sin. And part of loving somebody, as the scripture just told us, is telling them the truth of the gospel. This is part of loving somebody, is telling them the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Can I get an amen tonight? We are all sinners who have fallen short of his glory. We are all in desperate need of salvation of our souls because sin will be punished. I'll say it one more time. Sin will be punished. But we must thank God and we must understand that God, because of his plans, were always for relationship because of sin and brokenness. Redemption was made and it must be made for the sins of mankind. This is why God sent his son Jesus to this world to die for us. And because God loves all creation so much, he made the hardest decision to give his son's life as a ransom for the debt that we owed and for what our sins deserved. Each and every one of us must never forget that our sins deserved the place of eternal separation from God. Our unholy lifestyle deserved to never be in proximity to a holy God. But because of Jesus, everybody say because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we don't have to be far from God, but rather we can receive the gift that he gave us to redeem our souls from sin and back to him. We can thank God for that, but it's important, church, that our actions back our claims. I'll say that one more time. You can say that you love people all you want till you're blue in the face. You can give everything that you have to help people in need. But guess what? At the end of the day, if you're not telling them the truth of what the gospel says, you're not truly showing them love. Amen. Oh, but Pastor Duke, the backlash I may face. Jesus' back was whipped 39 times for our sins. Oh, but Pastor Duke, you know, I might lose some friends over this. Jesus said anybody that's a friend with this world is an enemy to God. 
Shall I go on? Jesus is wanting you and I to actually be bold once again with our faith and actually tell this world what it really needs to hear. Actually step out of our comfort zone and say, guess what? It doesn't matter if I lose a couple friends. It doesn't matter if I'm not liked by people. It doesn't matter if I lose some followers on my social media. I need to tell a dying world that there is hope through Jesus. But unless they choose Jesus and unless they repent of their sins, there is a Christless eternity that is waiting for them. An eternal damnation of punishment. Unless they repent of their sins and choose Christ and choose and receive what he has done, the work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sin, they will be punished for their sins for eternity. It has to be said, church. Because if it's not said, then they're they're just believing in a false God. They're just believing in a false gospel and they're just believing in a false Jesus. Jesus does not affirm sin. I'll say it time and time again. And so our actions must back our claim. I cannot tell somebody, you know, that they're going to hell without first giving them the opportunity to know Christ. This is the opposite of what a lot of Christians do. There's a lot of self-proclaimed Christians that like to jump on social media platforms and Facebook and the like. And they'll just simply tell people that they're going to hell because of the decisions that they make. Well, guess what? Jesus never opened up with, by the way, you're going to hell. But I hope you choose me. No, more times than not, what did he do? He saw the need. He met it with compassion. If they needed healing, he'd release the kingdom and they were healed. If they they were tormented by some spirit, some sickness and disease, he would cast it out so that they could see the kingdom of God, so that they could see that God was real, so that they could see that God was for them, so that they could see that God desired to have a relationship with them. He, everywhere he went, people were healed and delivered and set free wherever he went. That doesn't sound like, like a, a loving God that just wants to send people to hell. In fact, it sounds like a loving God that wants to reveal the kingdom to them. He didn't want them far from him. He always wanted them close. And I tell you tonight, church, we must give the world an opportunity to know Jesus. If we are commanded to share the gospel and to love them in truth and based on their decision, they will either reign with Christ or they'll be tormented for eternity. But our position must always be to love in truth. If our claim is that we love and we know God, we love God, then it must be backed by our love for others in this world. And let me ask you a question. What do you expect your refrigerator to do? You probably expect it to keep things cold, yes? What do you expect your car to do? You probably expect it to take you where you need to go. What do you expect your phone to do? You probably expect your phone to allow you to communicate with others. And I must remind us tonight, what does God expect his children to do? To love one another. 1 Peter 4 and verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That word deeply, it means earnestly, it means fervently, it means the follower of Jesus must make demonstrating the love of Jesus to others, to his or her first priority. 
It means that when you love others in this world, that should be your top priority of expression to them. Loving others is a proper response to the realization of what the scripture says right before this, that the end of all things is near. I must say to you tonight, church, Jesus is going to return. Amen. Some of you should be more excited about that than you show me tonight. But I said, Jesus is going to return. Everything that this world has done to break your life, everything that this world has done to cut you and to hurt you, everything that this world has, has showed you nothing but pain and heartache and, and torment and, and all these things that you've suffered with in your life and in this world, Jesus is saying the real, to realize this, the end of all things is near. And if we think about that and we keep that in, 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 the, in the forefront of our mind, knowing that the day of the Lord could come at any time, it should cause you and I to double down on how we love people in this world. Because this may be the last opportunity that they have to know Jesus Christ. This could be the last opportunity that somebody has to know him and to be known by him. And the scripture says, it says, finally, we need to love each other in a way, love each other in this way because it covers a multitude of sins. Now, I have to just correct something. When you love somebody in the love that God has for you, it doesn't cover your sin. That's not what the scripture is teaching. It's not some payment that you make that, that all of a sudden it wipes your sins away. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean the acts of our love for each other can earn somehow God's forgiveness. Peter wasn't implying that we are paying off our sin through good works because that would contradict what the scripture teaches us, that our sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus and his death on the cross. But rather the idea is that we would love and our love for each other, it would cover a multitude of sin, and this relates to our imperfection. This relates to the very things that you and I have never had the ability to do, which is to live sinless and be perfect on our own. Do you know that all, a lot of times when you see a person that's, that's angry and they're, they're mad, you know, they're, they're frustrated, you know, you see just this ugly spirit in their life, you know that more times than not, that if you would love that person, it has this ability to break them down, to all of a sudden, you know, see that there's somebody that loves them because they're used to seeing somebody that rejects the idea of their brokenness or their anger or their hatred or their bitterness. And when you love a person in that moment of their, of their imperfection, you love them in that moment, all of a sudden they're able to see Christ. It's like the blinders are removed and they're able to see this God that loves them so endlessly. So love for each other, it includes not only forgiving one another, but treating others not how they deserve to be treated. It overlooks hurts. It, it builds them up when they fall. It helps them in their time of need. And so it's important for us today to be reminded to love one another. As it was in the days of Paul addressing the church of Corinth, there were some people that thought that their gifts were just awesome. Oh, they were called to do this and they were called to do that. Their spiritual gifts were so great. They thought that, you know, they had graduated from loving others because of who they were. 
They thought that somehow they didn't have to express that to people anymore. And Paul wrote these words to them in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I walked over to my drum set right now and just pulled out one of my sticks and hit a cymbal as loud as I could, everybody would go like this. You'd shudder. I should do it maybe to wake you up. No, I won't. But it wouldn't be a pleasing sound in and of itself. It would be bothersome. It would hurt your ear. He said, if I'm speaking in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, that's what I'm in. I'm noise. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. He said, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse four, he says, so love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. It says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. God wants us, church, to represent him well in this world. And it starts in your own home. It starts in this church, amen? It extends to our neighbors and people around us that we encounter on a daily basis. And the question that I have for us tonight is, is your life just noise? Is your life just noise? Or is it worth something to someone else? The way that you walk and talk, the way that you live your life, has it impacted somebody in such a way that they want to love God more because they met you or that they want to love God less because that they met you or not love God at all? Is it making an impact for his kingdom or are you seeking just your own good? This whole series that I've been talking to you about the last few weeks has been about loving God and part of loving him well is loving those that he loves. It's loving the world the way that he loves you and I. And if we truly want to express to God how much we love him, that we must obey the commandment that he's given us to do. John 14 and 21, as I ask you to stand, says this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give. 